Jeremiah 29, beginning at verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word? Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning having sung praises to you, having heard your word read and spoken over us, having brought you offerings and gifts glorifying you. We now ask, Lord, that you would come and speak to us through the preaching of your word. Lord, you have said that it is by your word that you transform, that you heal, that you make all things new. Would you come and do that in us today? We need to hear from you. We need to be renewed by the hope of the gospel. Would you come and do that through the power of your word and the moving of your spirit? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Kids, a question to get us started off this morning. Have you ever made anything or built anything? Do you like to build things, especially like big things, like a fort or a treehouse or anything like that? You ever done that? You know, one of the things that's really important if you set out to build something or make something, really anything that it is, is that you have to start with an idea of what it's going to look like in the end. Have you ever gone about trying to make something and you have no idea what you're trying to make and it's all over the place? Not long ago, I guess about two years ago now, I set out to build a treehouse in my backyard. I've never built a treehouse before. I had no idea. I've really never built much. And so it was quite an adventure. My, my kids thought it was going to be done in a week. It took me six months. But you know, one of the things that I did, really the only thing that helped me to finish this thing in the end, is that whenever I started off, I had to have plans. I had to have pictures. I had to have some idea of what the end was going to be, some idea of what I was trying to build. Apart from that, I'd have no idea how to go about this thing. I had to have a vision for what I was building for. Now, this month, we are in our vision series as a church, and we're talking about how it's critical, and we do this every year, every August, where we come back to a place where we renew our sense of vision as a church, where we come back together and we're saying, wait a minute, let's get clear again. What has God called us here for? What are we here for as a church? Why do we exist? What are we aiming for? What is that picture out in the future that God is calling us to that we as a church are to aim towards together? One of the things that we're calling this series is Endade for Dade. It's a reminder that we are a church that exists in this particular place for the good of this particular place. Sometimes as As a church, it's very easy to think, well, it doesn't necessarily matter where I'm at. You know, this is where I go to church. This is where we meet. 
And we lose sense of the fact that God calls us to a particular place in order that we might be a blessing to that particular place. And that's a part of what we're seeing as we're going through our vision series together. Seeing a vision for what God intends Dade County to one day become in his renewal of all things. Now here's one of the challenges to having a vision that's driving the Christian life. One of the challenges that I think all of us face at different levels it's so very easy to shrink Christianity down to something that is just about me. We talked about this last week. It's so very easy to reduce and shrink our faith, to shrink the, the, the scope of what God is doing through Christ in the world, to shrink it down to just being about me. Especially in the Bible Belt, it gets shrunk down to being about going to heaven when you die which is a wonderful thing to go to heaven when you die. But the problem is, is that we reduce the gospel and Christianity to just mattering for the afterlife. And so very often, it doesn't have impact on our life here and now. Sometimes it's a little bit better than that. Sometimes we say, yes, Christianity is primarily about life after death, but, but also, you know, I, wanna, I want God to bless me in my life. I want Him to help me in my life. And so, you know, we, we want to take the issues in our life to Him, and that's, that's great, but still, it's far too small. It's not the vision for which God has called us to live in the world as His people. We are a people in the world for the sake of the world because God has something that He is up to in the world. So what we need is we need the scriptures to expand our vision as his people so that we would live for his purposes Monday through Saturday. Sometimes Christianity is just about Sunday. It's just a thing that I experience on one day of the week. And then I leave here and it's the secular world. It's just about me. Part of what we see when we come to God's word is that our faith is to inform absolutely every area of our life. Our relationships, our work, our neighborhoods, our recreation, absolutely every facet of our community. Here's what we'll see in our passage. We're going to see what God is calling us to as a church in Dade for the sake of Dade. So Jeremiah 29, beginning at verse 4, if you want to look there, here, to this passage, very important passage, and it's very critical to get some background on this passage as we're jumping in. You get a little hint towards the background in verse 4. Look at what he says there. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, so this is a letter, especially as you read a little bit more beyond just what we read. This is a letter that Jeremiah has been commanded to write to the Israelites who find themselves in exile. What is exile? Exile is being not at home. It's being in a foreign place. Home for them was Jerusalem. But the people of God had rebelled against God flagrantly with idolatry over and over and over. And so God exiled his people to Babylon. Babylon was a very evil nation. But yet God used them as an instrument to exile his people. So they find themselves in exile, in Babylon, in a foreign place. And a part of what they were believing about themselves is God doesn't intend for us to be here in Babylon. These are are not God's people here. 
God doesn't care anything about these people. These are evil people. They, they don't know him. They don't follow him. We do. We are his people. And so part of what they were believing and what their preachers were telling them at the time is like, God doesn't want you to have to be here. In fact, he's going to take you back home any day. So just get ready. And they were, what they were doing is kind of getting in the holy huddle. You know what that looks like when Christians do that? When we kind of pull away from the world and kind of circle the wagons and just stay with one another. They didn't want to be out in the world. They wanted to kind of hold up and bunker up together and just wait to get beamed back to Jerusalem. And so God uses Jeremiah to speak to them and say, listen, I don't want you to live that way. I have purposes for you in Babylon. You're there for a reason. Here's what I want you to do. Make this your home. Settle down here. Put down roots. Be engaged in the community. Because I want to use you in the place that you are in exile. Very different from what they would have thought God was wanting from them. Look at what he says in verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters away in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. See what he's saying? Build houses. Plant gardens. Marry and give away in marriage. Fully be engaged in the life of this community. I don't want you to be a holy huddle. I have a purpose for you there. Be out in the world. Don't be of the world. You've got to be my people. You've got to live in the way that I've called you to live, but I want you among the world for a particular purpose. And that would have struck them very odd. Not what they would think their calling as God's people was to be. But then in verse 7, it gets really bad. Look at what God said. In, in verse 7, he calls them to something that would have been even harder for them to imagine. Look at what he says. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for this city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Can you imagine how that fell on their ears? Pray for these people? But they're our enemies. They're evil. They don't know you. They don't follow you. Those are outsiders. You don't have anything for them. Pray for them. No, we're to pray for each other. Don't make us pray for them. Don't make us seek the good of the community around us. They're not your people. Why would we seek their good? Why would you care about them? That was a part of their mindset. And yet God is saying to them, here's your mission in Babylon. In exile, I want you to seek to make this city the best city it can possibly be. I want you to give your life for this city to flourish. To to be in this place for the sake of this place. To seek its good. To seek its peace. To seek its prosperity. To seek the flourishing of the city that I've put you in. What a shocking kind of mission that he has for his people. There's a very important word here in the Hebrew. The, the, the word that is translated in, in, in the NIV, it's actually two words are used to translate it, to seek the peace and the prosperity. Some of your translations will say welfare, 
And there's one Hebrew word that is used in the sentence there. And it's used a number of times, but it's translated in various ways. It's the Hebrew word shalom. And it's a huge concept. I mean, shalom is this really... The whole Bible is the story of Shalom, both the loss of Shalom and God restoring Shalom to his world. It's a huge and complex kind of concept. We often translate it into English as peace, but as we think about peace, most often we think of inner peace or peace of mind because we're in a culture where we're very, very anxious. So what are we praying for whenever we pray for peace? Lord, just help my anxiety to come down just a little bit, right? Help all of my worries. And that's certainly an aspect of shalom, but it is so much more broad. In its essence, shalom means a state of wholeness, of completeness. In the Old Testament, if you took a stone, a stone that was prepared prepared for the temple, and you were to find a stone that was was whole, and it it had clean edges, and it was the perfect size, and it had no cracks, you would say that that stone is shalom. If you saw a wall in the Old Testament and the wall was, was perfectly put together and it fit together and there were no mis- missing parts, there were no gaps in it, you would say that that wall is in a place of shalom. It's complete. It's whole. It's together. It's functioning properly. In the same way, if you were estranged in a relationship in the Old Testament and you were to go to that person that you were estranged with and you were to reconcile and repair that, that relationship, you would be bringing shalom. If your ox got out of its pen and got into your neighbor's garden and tore it all up, if you were to go to your neighbor and you were to repay all of their losses and help them to replant their garden, what you would be doing to your neighbor is you would be shaloming them. You see, this concept of shalom is absolutely huge. It's a sense of things being complete, of being whole. It's a state of well-being. It's a state of, of the way that things are supposed to be. I'm going to share a quote for you from um, Cornelius Plantinga Jr., a great book that he wrote called Not the Way Things Are Supposed to Be, and he's talking about this concept of shalom. And now here, his definition here of shalom. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder at its creator and savior, opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Do You see this vision of shalom that pervades all of the scriptures, this longing for, as he puts it, the way that things are supposed to be. Now I want to give you a an illustration here of shalom. So if I were to take this pot, and I would say this pot is in a state of shalom. You see, it's it's beautiful, some might say. I didn't pay a lot for it, but it it has beauty. Uh, It has function. It's able to perform its function. It has no cracks. It's together. It's whole. And you would say this, this pot is in a state of shalom. You see, that is a picture of God's creation. That's what we see at the beginning of the Bible. As God came and made his world, he made it in a state of shalom. It was beautiful. It functioned properly. Everything fit together. There were no cracks. God's relationship with his people had no separation. 
It was perfect intimacy with God in experiencing His love and His delight. In their work, humans were able to fully glorify God. And their work, it worked. It wasn't cursed. It wasn't broken. It was something that actually functioned the way it was supposed to. In relationships between humans, they weren't fractured. They weren't fighting. They weren't divided. Rather, they lived their life for the good and flourishing of their neighbor. Can you imagine that? That was the shalom that God created the world for. But something tragic happened. Humans chose to rebel against God. And God's perfect world of shalom was broken. And this right here is the reality that we all see. This is the reality of our world. Shalom lost. Broken relationships, broken creation, broken work, nations fighting against nations, addiction and bondage to all kinds of things you can't even imagine. That's the reality. It's the reality of our hearts and it's the reality of our community and the whole world that we live in. It is shalom that has been tragically broken as Plantinga says in his book, The vandalism of shalom is his definition for sin. So that is the reality that we live in. Shalom that has been lost and has been broken. And it's in us just as much as it's in the community that we're in. And yet, do you see what God's calling is? What he calls us as his people to, our mission in the world, is to be those who take brokenness and seek to put it back together. That we're to be those people who are seeking the shalom, not just of our own relationships, not just of our own families and our own church, but we're to be a people who are seeking the shalom of the community in which He places us. I mean, to do that, you've got to have a vision of shalom. That's what the Bible's all about. A vision of how God created all things, what He longs for them to be, and what one day they will again become. We've got to have a vision. We've got to see what does God long for in this community. And we've got to be engaged in the community. Just like the exiles here. So that we see where has shalom been lost here. Where is repair needed? Where is restoration needed? Where is there poverty? Where is there breakdown in families? Where are children growing up in abusive homes? Where are children growing up in poverty? In what ways is our school challenged in ways in which our children cannot flourish? In in what ways is the leadership in our community not functioning in the way that it should? That is, to bring about the flourishing of all people in our community. See, what we got to do as a church is to seek those things in this place. Is that a little overwhelming? The encouraging thing is that we can't do that. We can't fix our world We can't fix our community, no more than the exiles could. What did he primarily call them to do? Pray. Just like we talked about last week. Pray for the shalom of the community that you're in. That's our calling. I mean, all these things that we long to be transformed in us and in our community, only God can do it. Yeah, we're to seek it, but only he can bring it about. So we got to be a church. That's the heart of our mission we got to be a church that is actively 
praying for the shalom of Dade County. To be seeing the places where things are not the, the way that they're supposed to be. And be bringing those things before the Father and say, be at work here. Bring about transformation in this place. Let me ask a question here. This is our critical question each week. How does this connect to the gospel? I mean, we say over and over and over as a church that we are centered on the gospel, that we exist for the sake of Jesus being made known. Aren't we, aren't we about Jesus being made known? Aren't we about people coming to Jesus? And the answer is absolutely. The problem is that we often see a dichotomy between what we're talking about in seeking the shalom of the city and being restored in relationship to Jesus. Here's the problem. Our vision of the gospel is far too small. So often as we think about the gospel, we think that it's just a way to get to heaven when you die. It certainly is that, but infinitely more. You see, the scope of the gospel, as Scripture teaches us, is that through Jesus' work on the cross, God is renewing all things. See, the scope involves not just our souls, not just life after death, but everything about this life. God transforms it through the power of the gospel. That is the scope of what Jesus has accomplished in the gospel. Let's look at a passage, Colossians 1, 19 through 20. I think we have a slide for it. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. Just see this, just a sample of the picture of the scope of the gospel. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. Now God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. We talk all the time. We're centered on Jesus. All the fullness of God dwells in the person of Jesus. And through Jesus, this is God's great purpose in all things, to reconcile to himself all things. Now, wait a minute. Is all things just talking about all spiritual things? Are we just talking about spirits and souls and things like that? Are we we talking about all things? Well, he says, things on earth or things in heaven, all things, bodies, Earth, creation, communities, work, relationship, all things. God's great plan is to reconcile all these things to himself through Jesus. All that's been shattered and separated from himself through the fall, God is at work reconciling those things to himself. How? By making shalom through his blood shed on the cross. You see, that is the scope of the power of the gospel, of the cross. It is through the cross of Jesus that God is making all things new. That He's restoring and bringing shalom into our world. That is in our hearts and our lives and in our community as a whole. You see, as the cross of Jesus takes all of our sin. All of our shame, all of our resentment, all of our broken desires, all of our struggles, all that we've done, it takes it all and places it on Jesus on the cross so that we now get free from the inside out to be people who love, who serve, who don't live lives for ourselves, but rather for the one who has rescued us. 
as the power of the gospel penetrates our hearts, it transforms everything about our lives. It makes shalom. So our calling as a community is to seek the shalom of Dade County and to seek to bring people into relationship and restoration through Jesus. That's our calling. Let me close just with this story here. Many of you will remember, I think it was seven years ago, when the tornadoes came through this area. There was an outbreak of tornadoes that came through and literally ravaged this town. You couldn't even recognize this place. There was hardly a home in the entire county that wasn't in some way ravaged by these storms that came through. And it was tragic. There was great loss of of property. There was a number of folks that lost their lives in this community. But you know, it was amazing to be in this community during that time because you know what you saw? You saw a picture of shalom. You remember that? People were coming out and working together for the good of their neighbor. I mean, it was amazing. You actually saw churches in this community serving together. One would be cooking, one would be housing, and one would be sending teams out with chainsaws into the community. It was amazing. You would walk up to a random neighbor's house who's sitting there just shattered over how their whole life has been turned upside down. They're thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And all of a sudden, people just start walking up and chainsaws start going. It was amazing to see the ways that people came together serving and sacrificing their own life for the good of their neighbor. It was a beautiful, beautiful picture. You know, with the lens of the gospel, what we begin to see is that the ravages of sin have torn this community apart, this world apart, our own lives apart. And our calling is to be those through the power of the gospel that are going to one another and going to our neighbors and helping one another to rebuild shalom through the power of the cross of Jesus. Let me stop right there and just give us a few minutes to interact. How does that impact you? How does that move you, challenge you as you think about our calling to shalom, the concept of shalom, and the power of the gospel that brings it about? Let's interact with each other for a few moments. Um, Hutch, I think even over the last few days, I have just felt very overwhelmed by like the um, by seeing the way that things are not as they should be in the yeah. world. Mm-hmm. And I think I often think I often see that, but my go-to is just to feel like really overwhelmed and either to check out or to just kind of sit in it and be like, well, everything is bad and evil is so strong. And I think for me, often it just feels like that is like the ultimate reality. Mm -hmm. And even when I look at something good, I'll be like, well, it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just kind of where I like land. So I really appreciated hearing again today, just the reminder that like, not only is shalom coming, but that it has already been made on mm-hmm. the cross. Like, yeah. Yeah. that is the, yeah. I think even just the, the idea that, like, that is the ultimate reality. Yeah. That yeah. evil is not the ultimate reality, but that shalom is the ultimate reality. Yeah. And that, like, yes, it's a beautiful thing for me to engage with it, but I, or, or to, like, 
to act in ways that bring it. But even more so than that, I can just pray for it. Yeah. And that that is like ultimately God's work. I just think, I know that, I feel like I say this often, but it's so helpful for me to be reminded that it is not like my job to bring shalom. It's God's job. And like, he kind of like brings me alongside that. That's right. And that to like, that just gives me so much peace to realize that rather than to feel like, Everything is awful, and it's my job to make it better, yeah, but it's yeah. not actually going to be better. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You're going to burn out pretty quick yeah. when we get in that mindset. Yeah. yeah, so I just, I really appreciated that, and I yeah. think it brought me a lot of yeah. rest today. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. You know, it's so common to be overwhelmed if you really start to care about these needs around us. And, and if you get involved, it's so easy to get jaded and cynical and realize, gosh, there's no easy fix here. And what's so critical to remember is that he is the one who brings shalom. And it's only partial now, but one day will be in all of its fullness. And you got to be deeply rooted in those truths, uh, or else you're just going to take it all on yourself and burn out and shut down and get cynical. Anybody else? I think when you... When you um, mentioned just how Jesus achieved shalom through the blood, through the blood shed on the cross, mm-hmm. and it just reminded me of what great grace that was and how um, that energizes us to have grace in this community. Um, and I th- when you were talking about people going, sacrificially cutting trees and during the tornadoes, you know, not expecting anything ret- in return, it again reminded me of grace. And I guess, for me, the first steps walking out of here is prayer. And then, like, the second steps is just mindfully being gracious. Yeah. Not expecting things in return or wanting to. Mm-hmm. Having that desire and really trying to be intentional with that as, as, a, as a church and individually. And in my work, at the store, all these kind of things. Yeah. Thank you, Trent. You know, I'd, I'll just say this. I think... The greatest challenge in the Bible Belt is, and we, we say this a lot, and we probably think, ah, oh, yeah, I got that. But it's this taking the significance of the gospel, what Jesus has done in the cross and resurrection, and reducing it down to something that matters for my afterlife. I just think that's so pervasive in us, that we... we we so struggle to say, okay, what does that mean for my marriage? What does that mean for my relationship with my neighbor who's driving me up the wall? What does that mean for my work and my coworkers? And you see, that's, that's the, the, the gap there for us. Because he says in Scripture, like, this changes everything. But we are so programmed, especially in the Bible Belt, to think, oh good, now I have a ticket to heaven. And, and we separate those things. And so our work as his people has got to be, how do I apply the truth and power of the gospel to my relationships, to my work, to my marriage, to my parenting, to my recreation, to my coaching Little League Baseball? that's where we've got to put our efforts. And it's just hard to get over that separation that takes place in our minds. So thank you, Trent. 
Um, one year, I helped in the Dade County in the Dade County School in first grade, and there were a couple of kids in that class that I thought were not living in a good home, and it was really hard for me because I wanted to fix it. You know, yeah. I wanted to go home, I wanted to follow yeah. them, yeah. and everything, and I felt so inadequate. But it was really neat because when they'd come back from vacation and they'd see me they'd run up to me because yeah. I had given them a little love and a little hope. Yeah. And I, and I felt like that wasn't enough, mm-hmm. but it was something. Yeah. And, you know, I always am wondering what's happened to those. There was two girls and a boy. Yeah. But just that little touch yeah. could make a difference in yeah. their lives. Yeah. So. And I think that's a wonderful perspective, and it comes from that confidence in his bringing shalom. But, I, I mean, I think... I think our teachers are on the front lines of shalom work in Dade County because they see, they see the reality in ways that oftentimes we're not able to see. And, and it's hard. I think, I want to encourage you teachers, the most challenging thing is not to become cynical and jaded because you, 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 you labor and you give yourself away and you fight for them and yet it just feels like the cycle never stops. 